0: I'm a man on fire, walking through your street, with one guitar and two dancing feet,
1: only one desire that's left in me, I want the whole damn world to come dance with me. Okay, now I'm going to be reading um, scripture. So it's Matthew 7:13 through 27, and it says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easily. The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize by, by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does will be of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do, many, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it.
0: So, uh, one of the things um, that we've learned during this uh, difficult uh, quarantine, sort of lockdown season, uh, comedians have said that they have had one of the most frustrating experiences of this entire season. Uh, and that's because they've been cut off from their audience, which is the essence of their vocation. It doesn't exist without their audience. One comedian tried to do a Zoom uh, comedy show, and he said without the audience reaction, it was basically like he was an insane person at the bus stop who was just ranting to no one. Um, They they say it's like, it's hard to write their material without the audience because uh, the reaction to the audience is actually what drives how they write their material. So if you go to a comedy show and they uh, have a moment where they tell a joke and make a punchline and everybody laughs, that was intentional because they wrote their material with that moment being able to draw out your laugh. Look, I mean, Jesus has been speaking us uh, to this sermon all semester. And the intent of what he's saying is not for us to hear it and go, oh, yay, Good good sermon, Jesus. Well said. That was brilliant. He's trying to draw an intentional reaction from us. And the reaction that he wants to draw is a decision from you. C.S. Lewis said this Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So, as we listen to this entire semester, which has just been one sermon of Jesus, here's how I want to leave the semester. Uh, Have you heard what he said? And if you've heard it, have you made a decision? So let's let's let Jesus draw us into a decision tonight through three things. He gives us a warning, he gives us an alternative, and he gives us a challenge. First, he gives us a warning. Uh, You see this in verse 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. He says, many, many will say to me. Now, who, who are these many? Um, there's four four things we, we see about these many. Um, A, they did things in Jesus's name, which means these are, he's talking about people who would say they're a Christian, who would profess Christianity, who would say, uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Uh, B, they say Lord, um, which is a a really unique phrase in that time because he's using the Greek word kurios, which was commonly used of Caesar. So, the common phrase in the ancient uh, Near Eastern world and Greco-Roman world was that "Curios Caesar, Caesar is Lord." But Christians wouldn't say that. So Christians would say, "No, no, no, not Curios Caesar. Curios Christos. Christ is Lord." And here, what Jesus means is these people have good doctrine, like they understand sort of the Christian understanding of life, and they say, "Lord, Lord, did we did we not prophesy in Your name?" Um when, when there was repetition in early Greek writings, that was uh, an emphasis to emphasize something that was significant that you were passionate about. So these people have passion, they have emotion, they have uh, external feelings. And then he says, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? He's talking about people who do ministry who like do things for God, who do things that are actually successful for God. And he looks at those people and he doesn't say, you know, uh, you were with me and you fell away. Um, or you, um, denied me at the end. He says, I never knew you. John 17, three, um, Jesus says, and this is eternal life to know God that, uh, Salvation really is an intimate knowledge of God. And Jesus is saying in an extremely warning-like way, it's possible to say all sorts of things about God. It's possible to believe um, something should be true. It's possible even to do things that seem Christian. It's possible to even purvey a, a passion about Christianity and never be a Christian and, and this warning is like an arrow to our soul. Uh, one commentator he said though, how close to spirituality one may come without knowing its fundamental character. Now the point of this is not to create doubt um, or, or question assurance of salvation. Or make you afraid, but it's for, for, for many of us who profess to be Christians and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Is your house really on the rock? Is your tree really rooted in Christ, or is it a tree that looks like it's a Christian, but it's got bad fruit? Because what Jesus is asking is not what we do, it's asking who we are. Now, how do we ask that? How do you know where your heart is? Well, you can know whether you're not, you're building it on the true rock or the false foundation when the rains come. That is when life throws you painful circumstances, when it throws you a curveball, when it throws you something uh, that's difficult to deal with. Those are really the moments so you can really evaluate what am I actually building my life on? There was a, um, a really sad story that came out of New York uh, last week, and it's been in the news this week, too. Uh, the biggest church in New York City is Hillsong, New York, and the pastor there is a guy named, was a guy named Carl Lentz. And it came out in the news that he was fired last week because uh, he'd been having affairs and, um, and sleeping with other people other than his wife. And when uh, he was interviewed and asked about it, this this quote really shook me and made me sad. He said, "My life is over now." Now all he did was lose his job, but why would he say my life is over now? It's because I mean, part of that guy's existence, I think, had been so tied up in what he was doing that there was no me apart from the me that did these things and And here's what's it's not just for him, it's for all of us, but he this is i want to be gentle to him because i want I want him to to I want him to be received well by the christian community but he what he was doing was a life of ministry to thousands of people, and when you're doing that kind of thing. There's like no reason to ever ask this question. What are you building your life on? Now, you at USC, like the most successful environments produce the greatest and heaviest foundation quakes. It's because the success of L.A. and USC, I mean, it drew it it intuitively draws us to build our life on something that's fragile. And so, in a gracious way, Jesus is asking you before your life unfolds, what are you really building your life on? Because it's possible to think you're building your life on Him and you're actually building it on something else in the name of Him. And He gives us that warning. So, after the warning, though, He gives us two alternatives. We see this in verses 13 going forward. Jesus gives many illustrations here, but let's camp out on this one for a second. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. It leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. I mean, Jesus is sort of showing us the paradox of the gospel here. In the, I think it's the NIV, it says enter by the straight gate. And when it says straight, it's not S T R I. S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It's S-T-R-A-I-T-E. Because the Greek word there, it doesn't mean like the straight as in not crooked road. It means straight as in um, almost strangling, almost like a squeezing uh, image. You know how we say like people are in dire straits when, when things are difficult and things are falling apart? Jesus says, my way is the narrow gate, it is the straight gate. And what he's sort of evoking is, is the idea that with my way, the way I'm calling you to, it seems incredibly hard and it seems incredibly narrow and it seems like it will squeeze you. But on the other side is actually open life. Um, if you If you go to New York City, one of the coolest things to see is the Apple store on the Upper East Side, close to the Plaza Hotel. Uh, And what you see is like this just cube. It's like a big glass cube with an Apple logo on it. And and it's actually not very big. And you kind of wonder how can you have a little store with that kind of external entrance. But you actually walk in the cube and you walk down a spiral staircase. And there's an enormous store that covers like almost an entire block. And so what you have is like this small, insignificant entrance to an open, humongous store. And Jesus is saying, look, my way, it looks like this narrow, small entrance, but it's, but it's actually wide to life. And the other way, what it, what it looks like is this broad, obvious way of life that seems like everybody does. But in the, in the end, it's like a waterfall and you actually fall over into destruction. So what he's saying is there's two alternatives. One way is like if this is the top of the road and this is the bottom of the road, it's like this. It's like very narrow and it looks very difficult and challenging, but as you get in it, it actually opens up wide into freedom. And he says the other way of life is the opposite. It's like this. It looks so enticing, it looks so normal, it looks like how everybody should do life, but once you walk down it, it actually becomes that's going to strangle you. Now, when he talks about these narrow gates and the broad road, almost everybody thinks that what he's talking about is uh, immoral life on the one side, like the irreligious life, like the people who are into wild partying, uh, rampant sexuality. Uh, massive greed, like that's the broad road. And the narrow road is like the moral, you know, super religious life. But that's not what Jesus is, is giving alternatives about here. Because if you look at the rest of the illustrations, he gives a tree and he gives a house. And he basically gives two things that look on the external, the exact same. But if you actually look into them, They're very different because they look like they're two trees, but one of them actually grows real fruit and the other actually grows rotten fruit. There's two houses that look like both places you can live, both places that are satisfying. But when rains come, one is actually built on a true foundation and the other crumbles. And and here's the two alternatives. One alternative is how almost everybody views life. And that's that if you give God a good record, he will do things for you. If you're a good person, if you live up to the standard, if you pursue that way, God will show favor and will do nice things for you. And the other road is the gospel, which says God gives you a perfect record because of Jesus Christ, and then you live for him. And look, here's what's challenging about the alternatives Both of those perspectives can have people who seem to do loving things, who seem to do a lot of spiritual things, but they do them for utterly different reasons. And the two people are those that think they can save themselves and those that turn alone to Jesus for salvation. Uh, In his book, Generation X Christian, about how a lot of young Christians have left Christianity uh, Drew Dyke, he, t- he tells this interview of a young man who left Christianity to join the Wicca religion. The guy's name was, I love this, Moringhawk Apollo. That's how he n- renamed himself, which is common in Wicca. And he discussed his rejection of Christianity uh, with candor. He said, ultimately why I left the Christian God is because he demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose, they serve our wills. What he's saying there is, I left Christianity because I wanted to utterly be in control. I didn't want anybody to be in control of me. I wanted to be in control. Do, Do you know why you and I are attracted to that? Why you're attracted to being in control of your life? You may not be attracted to renaming yourself Morning Hawk tonight but you absolutely are attracted to being in control of your life. It's because our heart is so prong- prone to walk down the broad road where we think God expects us to live up to this standard. And when we realize that's just impossible, that's, that's exhausting, we think God is enslaving. And you know what this text is sort of twisting on us? It's, it's saying, look, you're accusing God of something that you're actually doing and that's enslaving yourself. Thinking that you have to live up to a standard in life and if you live up to that standard, you will be accepted. And you're living up to something that God has never, ever, ever asked you to do. Because the narrow road is the gospel, which says, listen, I will give you that standard. I will give you that life. But the way into that life is narrow. Now, what do I mean it's narrow? It's narrow sort of for two ways. A, it's really narrow and difficult because it requires you to be poor in spirit. If you go back, one of the first things Jesus says in this sermon, and a lot of commentators say Almost everything he says is based on this, this line. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Says, blessed are those who come to God and walk into life open and honest and aggressive towards their failures and struggles. Now, when somebody comes to you and points out a struggle in your life, how does that feel? I mean, it typically feels like it's going to kill us. It, feel, it feels like Carlin says, my life is over now. Like I've been exposed. People will know what a struggler, what a failure I am. But Jesus is saying like, that's the, actually not the beginning of death. That's the beginning of life. The Boston Alcoholics Anonymous slogan is this. You give it up to get it back, to give it away. Nobody goes to Alcoholics Anonymous going, I'm so ready for change. Like, let's talk about all the failures in life. Almost everybody goes terrified to actually deal with the problem that's deeply pressing in their life. But what they're trying to say to one another over and over and over again is you give it up. You go through the narrow way to get it back, to actually find the open life. And then you get freed up to give it away. See, in life, y'all have got to learn to say, what other people think of me is none of my business. And what I think of me will kill me. And what only matters is what God thinks of me and has justified me. And declares me as his child and says, like a Psalm 103 says that my sins are swept as far away as the east is from the west. But you will never, ever be able to live in that until you, you go through the narrow way and say, I'm poor in spirit. It sounds terrifying, but that's actually the way you take back your life to give away your life. But it's also narrow because you have to believe in salvation by Christ alone that the only way through the narrow gate is it's through Jesus. And one of the immediate questions we always wanna ask is what about other religions and what about good people? But if you've been hearing anything that we've been saying this semester and talking about this Sermon on the Mount, one of the things we say over and over, there are no good people. The only reason we think there are good people is because we measure goodness on a relative level. We just think, well, I'm better than them. Or they're better than these, you know, idiots over here, and so we measure goodness on the basis of the worst. But think, think about being a good person this way: um, if you uh, if you have children one day, and let's just take the Sermon on the Mount, and you teach your children uh, to not be hypocrites, to love their enemies, and to be faithful sexually. And you say, these are the three most important things in life and I want you to adopt these three things and I want you to live by these three things and I want you to always have these three define your existence in this life. If your children grow up and adopt those three things and they do that, but when they leave their house at 18 and they never call you again, they want nothing to do with you. They will never come home for Thanksgiving. They'll never come home for Christmas. They don't call you on your birthday. Do you really, like, are those good children? Like, even though they live by the values and morals that you instilled in them, the fact that they have utterly cut off life from you and want nothing to do with you, are those good people? Those are not, those are not good children. And what, what Christianity wants to say is, look, there really are no good people. But only Christianity will come after the bad people and say, there is grace. You don't have to live up to it. And Jesus is trying to give you these two two alternatives. Do you want to live your life trying to justify your existence, or do you want to let Him justify you? Because those are the only two ways to live. That's the alternative. He gives us the warning, the alternative, but thirdly and lastly, He gives us this challenge. He's told us this whole sermon, and he tells us in the end, he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He's basically bringing us to this point and saying, okay, here's the two ways. Here's the alternatives. Now, choose. It's not immorality or morality. It's Will you be in control of your life or will you give it to him? And he's trying to warn many of us who have been around Christianity about the ability, can you clarify, is this really going on in your life? Because he says in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, there is going to be a day where we stand before Jesus and we answer him. What will you hear? Do you Will you hear, I never knew you? Which is possible for all sorts of people who walk around pretending Christianity. Or will you hear good and faithful servant welcome home? And I, I am begging you to clarify your heart tonight that you know Jesus will look at you and say, welcome home, my child. And if that's a challenge and that's disturbing for you, consider the challenge this way. You've got to accept that personally. And some of you have come to college and you still have sort of a high school faith. You know what I mean? Where it's like you grew up around the church, you grew up around the faith because your parents made you do it or everyone around you believed it, or it seemed like the right thing to do. Look, you're gonna leave USC as a grown man or woman. What kind of grown woman or man do you want to be? Because at some point, this cannot be what people around you believe. It's got to be something you believe. You gotta take that personally, but you also gotta take it courageously. And you gotta know, and this is so difficult at USC, we are always gonna be strangers in this world. There are family members, there are friends, there are peers, there are other people who will never understand you building your life on the grace of God. But I'm telling you, that narrow gate, everything that you lay down to walk through it, you will reap a harvest in 10 million years to come. You may not taste any of it in this life. And and to believe that and have hope in that, it takes real courage. So what will help you do it? Walt Disney was once asked, when did you know Disneyland was gonna be a success? And he said, you know what? I can tell you the exact day and the exact moment. He said he used to get up every morning And go for a walk around the theme park before, like hours before it opened. And he was on a walk one morning and walked around a corner and he saw Cinderella. all in her, you know, already done it for the day. Bending over and picked up a piece of trash from the night before. And he said, that's when I knew. He said, that's when I knew this was going to be a success. He said, if I could get the princess to be so all in that she's policing the grounds in the lowest of positions. He said, then I know that my team will be committed and this is gonna work. Look, you know what it will take for you to go all in on Jesus? Is because he's asking you this as the king of glory who one day will hang on a cross. And go to the lowest of low positions and the most narrow of narrow gates. And he went all in for you. So go all in for him. And that's a decision right now. You need to make a remake in your life. Do you remember how we began this semester? We began with the last words of this sermon. They heard him and they were astonished. Have you heard this? If you have, choose the narrow gate and walk in it. Let me pray. Lord, everyone on this call, everyone we know, Lord, the broad road is so obvious and so inviting, but we want not life just for the next 20 years or 40 years, but we want life forever And it is costly in the immediate moment. Would you help us by your spirit walk through that gate? And would you help others that we know walk through this gate? Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.